Welcome to Budget Watchdog, All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. Cut through the partisan rhetoric and talking points for the facts about what's being talked about, bandied about, and pushed in Washington. Brought to you by Taxpayers for Common Sense. And now, the host of Budget Watchdog AF, TCS President Steve Ellis. Welcome to all American taxpayers seeking common sense. You've made it to the right place. For over 25 years, TCS, that's Taxpayers for Common Sense, has served as an independent, nonpartisan budget watchdog group based in Washington, D.C. We believe in fiscal policy for America that is based on facts. We believe in transparency and accountability because no matter where you are in the political spectrum, no one wants to see their tax dollars wasted. But you know what a budget watchdog always wants to see? A fresh Congressional Budget Office report on the fiscal 2022 federal budget deficit. Oh, uh, hello, Josh. Jumping in a bit early there, my friend. But yes, a fresh Congressional Budget Office report on the fiscal 2022 federal budget deficit. And joining you, Steve Ellis, the president of Taxpayers for Common Sense, to explain what the CBO report means, what isn't in it, and what's looming is me, Josh Sewell, TCS senior policy analyst. Right. Uh, wow. Uh, is this some sort of podcast coup? No, not, well, not exactly. Just very eager to cut the intro music and get down to some serious budget watchdogging. Fair enough. Giddy up. Okay, budget watchdog AF faithful. Here's what we know now. We did it. The budget deficit for 2022 was $1.4 trillion. Pop the champagne. Wait, what? I know. It's hard to believe. trillion. Pat yourself on the back, Steve. That's half of the $2.8 trillion it was in fiscal year 2021. Sure, it's half, but $1.4 trillion is still $1.4 trillion. That's a lot of money. Uh, Yeah, in nominal terms, but with inflation at a 40-year high, $1.4 trillion now is like $840 billion in 2001. And that's the last time the federal government ran a budget surplus. So, you know, it seems like a win. Ah, the federal budget surplus. I remember that. Let's have a moment of silence for the budget surplus. Okay. So I think I see what's happening. I'm all for being a budget optimist, but this is recency bias, negative conditioning. In fiscal year 2021, the deficit was $2.77 trillion. That's after 2020, chock full of COVID-19 spending, which was $3.1 trillion. So I could see why $1.4 trillion feels better, but... Is it really? All right. You got me. I am trying to put a positive spin on what's still a rather bleak or even depressing report. Not to depress our listeners further, but uh, let's dig into the numbers and see what's there. First, please remind folks what we are looking at. So the report we're discussing is called the Monthly Budget Review, and it's from the Congressional Budget Office. Right. And CBO is the nonpartisan arm of Congress tasked with keeping track of projected costs of legislation, the status of the deficit, and other fiscal matters facing Congress and the nation. They are the official scorekeeper for Congress. They do a monthly budget review, and this is the one from September. Yeah, and also a few times a year, CBO actually does a very extensive update and provides really detailed tables and a lot of narrative updating assumptions about inflation, interest rates, economic conditions, expected spending on federal programs, you name it. And those are called baseline updates, and those are really, really fun. Uh, And they're called the baseline because they are the base, the official numbers 
or starting line that CBO uses in projecting cost or savings from legislation. So kind of like a uh, formal performance review. Yeah, exa exactly. And the monthly budget reviews, they're more like the federal budgetary equivalent of a little chat at the cubicle. But of course, this one coming at the end of the fiscal year means that we got the uh, fiscal year 2022 numbers uh, since September 30th is the end of the fiscal year. So looking a little bit further into this, how are things? Well, the deficit is, is in fact down and CBO sees receipts, you know, that is federal revenue, mostly from various taxes, going up $850 billion in 2022 compared to fiscal year 2021. At the same time, spending is down nearly $550 billion. That doesn't sound too depressing. So what gives? Well, first, almost all of that reduction in spending is because we aren't doing the unprecedented kind of spending we did for COVID-19. Right. We're no longer sending those recovery rebates. The checks or direct deposits sent, sent to basically everyone has stopped. The Small Business Administration isn't throwing money out the door. And uh, the tight labor market has seen unemployment go down and, and costs as well, right? Yeah, to the tune of $359 billion less for unemployment, because again, fewer people are unemployed. And importantly, those expanded pandemic benefits expired. And you throw in without those recovery rebates, even with slightly higher spending on some other tax credits, things like the earned, uh, earned income tax credit or the child tax credit, the, the overall cost of refundable tax credits went down $486 billion. And just to be clear, the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit are two different refundable tax credits. Correct? Right. Yeah. And this is, and this are, there's dozens of, re of refundable tax credits, but the overall pot of those, the cost went down $486 billion. So I, I think you could take that less COVID spending across other programs. And I see where you could save a lot of money, at least in Washington terms. Um, but that's the nature of emergency spending. It's supposed to go up when there's an emergency and go down when the emergency moves into recovery instead of response. Yeah. And that's where we are. I mean, for the most part, we've adjusted to a new COVID reality. I'm not going to say we're post-COVID because there's clearly a lot of cases going on, but the adaptations are there. So of course we are spending less because we did some unprecedented things in response. And now we don't have to do that kind of unprecedented response. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so then we're back on reactive posture and, and ready to respond if need be. Um, all right. Then shifting to the other side of the ledger, then there are also these increases in receipts. Uh, where is that revenue coming from? It's from that churning economic recovery uh, for the most part. So the economy never ran into recession in fiscal year 22, at least not by most measures and certainly not by the numbers that are in the federal budget. Uh, so individual income taxes, they were up 29% year over year. Corporate taxes, 13%. Payroll, employers refilling unemployment compensation fund, all those excise taxes on everything from tobacco to alcohol and whatever else. Roll them all together and you see a 21% increase in tax revenue in 2022 compared to 2021. You're listening to Budget Watchdog All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. I am not your host, TCS President Steve Ellis. He will continue now with me, Josh Sewell, as I turn towards the lame duck. It seems a little early to uh, get into that. Is it ever too early? Well, I mean, we will need to save a whole podcast to go over all that this Congress will need to do post-election. Uh, but there are some things that could occur in the lame duck session or early next Congress that throw even more cold water on any sort of rosy view of a smaller deficit. 
You don't even have to wait for the lame duck. The costs are coming in now from inside the report, and it's the student loan forgiveness. Hey, you got it. Uh, whether you like it or not, as far as a sticker shock, the biggest thing in this report was that the monthly deficit for September was $431 billion. That's just in September. That's $366 billion more than the deficit was for the month of September in 2021. That's huge. Like, what could have happened? Well, most of that is because of the Biden administration's decision to forgive student debt. And under accounting rules that the CBO has to follow, that full cost uh, is accounted for when it was announced. So in August and into September, just before the fiscal year ended. Got it. That's kind of a September surprise from a budgetary standpoint, uh, but it won't be the last, will it, Josh? Exactly. And this is where the de report gets depressing uh, for a little bit of what's not in the report. You know, And when CBO did their baseline update, the last one was in May. They projected a deficit of only $1 trillion. You know, so it's actually, you be rosy about it, this is actually a $400 billion increase in the projected deficit. And next year's 2023 was supposed to be $908 billion. But we've already adjusted up $400 billion. The idea that we're going to have a $908 billion deficit seems not likely to happen. So it, it just seems to me that this $1.4 trillion deficit that it appears we had in 2023, because technically it could go up or down a little bit um, when they get a few more numbers, this could be the high watermark, or I guess low watermark for the foreseeable future. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, we recognize that uh, we're unlikely to uh, go into surplus. And then actually um, in 20, 2001, it was a technical surplus. It was a unified budget surplus, meaning that the excess receipts from Social Security and Medicare at that time um, were covering over an on-budget deficit of, of discretionary spending. Um, but the whole point is, is that you try to shrink the deficit as a percentage of GDP, you grow the economy, and then we don't have more than 100% our, our debt, our, you know, the accumulated deficits of our nation's history isn't more than um, actually our, our annual GDP, which it is right now. Okay, so what are some of the things, um, just teasing ahead a little bit, that we see on tap for this 117th Congress before they leave town? You never know. You, maybe they'll do something before the election, but in reality, most of, the, most of this is going to happen after the election on and exactly what they tackle and what they don't tackle will depend on on who wins like who's going to be if republicans take over the house if they take over the house and senate you know it may change uh, the way uh, people do things but clearly one thing that's going to happen is there's already a 33 billion dollar disaster supplemental request coming out of senator marco rubio in florida yeah i saw that yesterday and that's just a starting point i mean you've been doing this longer than i have have you ever seen a disaster supplemental that got smaller the longer it was out there? No, no. I mean, certainly uh, it, it's, you know, there all of a sudden becomes, well, there's my issue or my other disaster. And, you know, I haven't looked into Senator Rubio's. I don't know if it really deals with Puerto Rico and Fiona. Um, and so, you know, and then you have the Alaska delegation demanding funds as well and from um, a, a typhoon and earthquake and such. And so, yeah, it's all going to kind of um, get, get, uh, attract some flies. Yeah. And, and even if most of the spending is legitimate, like the fact is we still don't know if have a full accounting of the damage in Florida. Um, the fact is even if it's all needed, every dollar that you put in a disaster supplemental is added to the deficit unless you raise revenue somewhere else or cut spending somewhere else. And so that whatever that price tag is, that's going to add to the deficit for fiscal year 2023. 20, and then we're looking at the annual appropriations haven't been done. They've got the CR that lasts until uh, mid-December. 
the uh, Republicans are demanding billions more and uh, defense spending. And just as you point out, if they feel like they're in a better position post uh, election uh, in the lame duck, they're going to be arguing for that. Got tax extenders, which are you know likened to being the uh, cockroaches of Washington policy that they always seem to survive. But in this case, Josh, it's not just the small ones; these little ones that just get extended for a year or two or retroactively extended. It's actually some bigger ticket items, right? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest ones is, is that child tax credit. And during the pandemic, we enhanced that child tax credit, made it much more generous, uh, and so that alone, the the the, the additional spending for the child tax credit during the pandemic, you know, it raised millions of people out of poverty. And so there's this, there's a debate, especially amongst Democrats, but even amongst, and also amongst some Republicans that, well, maybe this is a tool we should use more often. Uh, I mean, cause this is, go- especially if you target it towards the most needy people. But if you do that, it's going to cost tens of billions of dollars per year. And again, if it's a good policy, we can do it. But if you don't, cut somewhere else, or if you don't raise revenue, that's going on the deficit. And so this is where whatever we're talking about, tax extenders, defense spending, education, infrastructure, if we're going to spend more money, we have to prioritize. We have to come up with ways of getting more bang for the buck. Uh, We can't just rest on our laurels of, hey, we've cut the deficit down to 1.4 trillion, (laughs) even if you cut it down to 500 billion, or may, and you made a good point. If, if you start holding the line and and getting a deficit, even if it just stays at 1.4 trillion, but the economy continues to grow, yeah, that is some progress, but you have to be able to hold that line and so that we don't, so that the debt just doesn't grow to a point where the interest on the debt is going to get out of control because the federal government has to pay interest too. It's not just you and I on our mortgages and other things that are where interest rates are going up. Right. And even before uh, the pandemic, I mean, we were looking at a trillion dollars going to net interest, you know, so the, the money we pay to service the debt. And you made a good point, Josh. I mean, so much of it is, as we talk about the numbers, but it's really budgets are about priorities and where you spend uh, your money, whether it's foregone revenue through tax provisions or whether it's actual spending, um, that reflects the nation's priorities. And, you know, priority, but just by its very nature, prioritizing means that something is more important than something else. And so that something else should get less. And so, yeah, I think that's exactly right. So let me get you out of here um, on a lot. What are some of the the big uh, pesky issues that, that uh, and pesky is an understatement, but what are some of the big issues that are looming that, that we're going to have to tackle, if not next year, in the coming years, in the coming decade? Yeah. And it, the pandemic has really, I feel like the pandemic and some of these natural disasters have taken uh, some of the budgetary focus away from the structural issues that we have. Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, they all have we'll call them financial challenges in the foreseeable future. Uh, and so you don't hear a lot of talk about that on the campaign trail of, of how you're going to right size these or uh, make them more sustainable. Uh, but that's going to have to occur, you know? And so it, there's some big macroeconomic issues with that. And so I think that's, those are the kind of things that are, that are going to have to be addressed at some point. And finally, like CBO can't predict the future. You know, um, where I don't think most people don't think we're in a recession yet, but a recession, an actual recession could very well be around the corner. And that means 
all those safety net programs um, that are many of them looking fairly cheap right now because they have gone down, they're going to start going back up in costs. And then there's a the question of what do you do in direct response to however this recession moves forward? You know, whether it's stimulus infrastructure or those reviving those economic payments, you know, something because every recession hits people, hits the country a little differently. You know, if it was a housing bust, it's different than if it's um, obviously the COVID-19 induced pandemic. And so the resulting spending is going to be different. What it all comes down to basically is that we've made some progress on the actual numbers for the deficit, but now's not the time to say, well, that's good enough. Let's just start spending again. Now's the time to really get your house in order, start prioritizing because at some point that roof's going to start leaking again. So let's figure it out now so that we don't have to just massively pile on deficits onto our national debt. So there you have it, listeners. Receipts are up, costs are up, and we should all buckle up, buttercup. It's going to be a bumpy fiscal ride. This is The Frequency. Mark it on your dial. Subscribe and share. And know this, Taxpayers for Common Sense has your back, America. We read the bills, monitor the earmarks, and highlight those wasteful programs that poorly spend our money and shift long-term risk to taxpayers. We'll be back with a new episode, and I hope you'll meet us right here.